Welcome to NAB Digital Next, and we're continuing the theme of digital identity. But whereas we've previously focused on NAB Digital Next on the learnings and developments internationally, from Singapore to Washington to Oslo, today we're looking closer in our own country and on the opportunities to improve how we serve and include Australians. I'm Brad Carr, here with my colleague Alicia Abaratne, and our special guest today is Jason Arundala Davis, the founder and CEO of Hold Access. Hold Access is an Indigenous-led business that is addressing the barriers to opportunity faced by First Nations communities, specifically owing to the fact that many First Nations individuals may not possess conventional identity documents, the things that we really all really need to access employment, education, banking and other essential services. Hold Access has achieved a number of Australian Innovation Awards for things like the DG and Wuna Solutions, and Jason is an experienced founder with a career spanning 30 years in Indigenous policy and development. Jason, it's a terrific pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you very much for joining us to, on NAB Digital Next and welcome. Thanks, Brad. Glad to be here. Appreciate this opportunity to, to share more about how we're addressing this massive issue in Australia. I'm really inspired by what I've learned from you already and, and keen to learn more here and, and I'm sure all of our listeners are. As we record this, Alicia and I are on the lands of the Wurundjeri people and we thank the Wurundjeri for the way in which they've cared for the land and the waters here in Nam, the city of Melbourne. Jason, I understand you're joining us from Darwin on the lands of the Larrakia people, but your own heritage traces from a little bit further east, from the Kalkadoon and Wanyi of northwest Queensland and the Gulf Country. Do I have that right? But also, can you help educate those of us in Australia's south? Can you tell us a bit about the Kalkadoon and Wanyi nations? Absolutely. I am from the Kalkadoon and the Wanyi nation. And we also have connections to the Eastern Arundel people of Alice Springs. So right through the corridor of Central Australia into the middle of a Queensland into the Gulf Country, our long heritage goes back more than 60,000 years. Generations and generations have survived on this country. And inside secret is that we've done this through the access of a message stick. The message stick technology is, is what brought me here today, opening up this technology digitally so we can actually harness it to bring my people, the Kalpurun, Wainyeti, Nara people, and many other underdocumented people with culture and heritage into you know, the 21st century with the digital revolution that we have going. Well, I wanted to ask what drew you to the problem of identity, but I think you've already alluded to it with, I think, you know, a great point of the inspiration uh, and how this really ties to, to the history. But perhaps, you know, building on that, what motivated you to, to take the step of creating your company, Hold Access? Yeah, so, so creating the company was, was a pivotal moment. I guess it came from the birth of my child that was born four months early. Anyone who's a father or a mother knows um, having your child born premature is a, is a difficult task on its own. So I had to leave work and I saw her in this vulnerable state and I often thought about my working career and about people who had no opportunity to self-determine and make choices. And my child was an example of someone who was very vulnerable. And so it was a catalyst for me to tackle this issue around self-determination. What was it? How do we impact you know, a large cohort of people in Australia who were left out with more than uh, 250 years of being unable to be recognised for our cultural and heritage identification in Australia. So it was, it was critical to, to solve this. So it was a catalyst to move into a company. We started off with, with um, Yagajawana. I'm sure you would be able to spell that one twice, Brad. <laughs> so 
we we thought we'll take the last words of that, which is wanna W U N A. Under you got your wanna, the word actually means you gotta wanna in in English. And wanna means to make informed choices. So to be um bringing self-determination to people, we had to ensure that the meaning was within wanna, the software. And uh, the company is called Hold Access, and Hold Access means exactly that, to hold it and to access it singular. So you actually had control, and you were able to self-determine and make those informed choices without third parties controlling or over-controlling your information on your behalf. That was one of the catalysts for forming the company, and there were multiple, multiple um, examples of uh, why I why I chose this as well with my own experiences being Aboriginal. And that was um, having to use my Aboriginality identification to access a business loan. Now, um, I had four to five different forms of identification. All were certified forms. And yet I could not still uh, access a business loan. And um, I was told that my Aboriginality had explained. That morning I woke up and I was no longer who I thought it was yesterday, which was a First Nations man. And um, I had to have someone who I did not know, had nothing to do with, who signed a piece of paper to say that, oh, it's all right, Jace, we can go ahead with that loan now. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's just extraordinary and just embarrassing. I'm embarrassed that you faced that scenario, that situation, and, and I'm glad that you not only overcome it, but you had the inspiration to make it better for others. Yeah, thanks, mate. It, it's absolutely, uh, shouldn't be happening especially in Australia, no. uh, with equal opportunities and, and uh, for what everything that we have in Australia, you wouldn't think that this goes on, but no, it does. And it happens, um, it happens to a lot of people. These are often the, the pivot points to poverty and to disparity, chronic illnesses, incarceration rates that are um, the highest in any, any other settled country in the world. Uh, so there is a solution, but Australia... And, and many of our um, organizations around Australia are not addressing it in a way that individuals can take control of their of their data. Thanks, Jason. Um, really appreciate you sharing your story, which Brad said is extremely inspiring. I've had the great pleasure of hearing you speak about WANA before, and this is the digital wallet that your company has created which comprises both a web-based app and a physical card and enables users to share verified credentials with third parties. Love if you could tell our listeners a bit more about the WANA solution and how it's addressing some of the challenges uh, remote Indigenous communities face in accessing services as our society becomes more, as you say, digitised. Sure thing, Alicia. So some of the things that we, um, challenges that, that we face are being able to access, for one, our cultural practices, being able to have access to um, hunt and gather and, and carry out ceremonies that we've always done. And we, we often do in secret now because we don't have the permits to do that. And so so this offers an opportunity to, to access permits through this particular system that um, you can control and, and access, as well as credentials to streamline employment opportunities um, where employments are in regional spaces is often um, very low. And then we, we think of... Um, employment in particular in regional areas as being um, lack of economic capabilities but yet in what a lot of the problems in those regional communities is that we don't know what the economic capabilities are in those regions 
So unless we know what they are, we can actually say there is no economic capabilities. And so we identify what they are. We provide them back to people who need to hold it and need to accelerate regional economies at scale. There's another one too, which is KYC for identification for banking, for insurances, for super, all sorts of things. Yeah, but we we term the phrase KYC for diversity and ensure that the victims of modern slavery do not become caught up in the cycle of becoming perpetrators of that same um, act that's put on the force on them. Not just that with uh, the uh, use of funds. These are cycles that often people um, in these environments are well aware of. They, they, there are criminological theories associated to this that, that create a dependency in this particular lifestyle that people enact and um, we need to find a way out for everybody, not just in prison for the perpetrators, but they're also victims who need to find an ex exit from those environments. And we believe that many institutions have a role to play in that as well. Organizations also face a problem as well in, in communities where they're duplicating documentation, ID. And in fact, I just got off the phone today with an organization that, that does it every week with the same people. So if you think of that, someone's creating new identification documents, new verified certificates, resumes every single week for the same person. That's how over overworked they are in this particular space, which is probably why we can do it close to the gap. Absolutely, Jason. And it strikes me that there's, you know, a great productivity benefit of the product and the solution that you're bringing to market as well. Another really terrific feature of the Wana solution that I've read about is that it allows users to share their family lineage and cultural heritage. And I'm keen to understand, you know, why this was important to include within the solution and what has the community response been to this aspect of uh, WANA? Thank you for picking up on that. The, yeah, so we, so we live in two worlds um, as First Nations people. Migrants often come into the country and they come from their world into the Western world of Australia and they're meant to work in with the systems here. And sometimes our culture is left behind or at the doorstep of Australia, but and we're meant to uh, adapt to the Australian culture. So Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people feel the same way in Australia. We live in the world of our, our culture and our ceremonies, our existence and connections to this country. But the systems of Australia do not connect to, to, our, to us. We don't interact with those systems because they, they don't have the same value systems that we have in our culture and our heritage. So one of the things I often say is that to understand this, I have more than five different names that I use in different locations with different people, but yet the system only recognizes one of my names. Now, this is a very, it sounds, oh, I'll just keep calling yourself that one name, but what if you don't have a birth certificate and you're knowing it for another name in your community? But what if you leave that community and you go to another community and you know a different name or your ceremonial places you go to are very meaningful to you and you can't be called anything else for a period of time because of obviously a ceremonial reason. I mean, these are the impacts that, that many people of culture and heritage have. And I know that people who are vibrates come in with these really long names and they change their names to a really short name just to appease the um, Australians that they, they can actually pronounce their names. So um, there is significant um, areas uh, why we have family lines and family lines is to be fully inclusive of diversity and uh, which is why we're also coined the phrase 100 points of Aboriginality so that we can actually have 100 points of our evidence to prove our identity, but that can be forever. So we don't have to just lose it like I did 
in getting a business loan, I could actually have it all the time and it'd be a national identification. Jason, I think one of the things I find really drawing to the work you're doing with Hold Access is the, the way in which you are bringing together both these cultural heritage issues of, of you know great deep meaning together with the more economic uh, rationale, if you like. And I, I really am heartened by what you've just described there of, of you know the fact that people shouldn't have to leave their heritage at the door. They shouldn't have to sacrifice or compromise on that. But if you don't mind me pivoting to the, the economic side for a moment, and you've already referred to where the economic and employment potential in regional areas is is either misunderstood or, or not not recognised, not identified, perhaps. I understand one of the pilots you ran recently with the One R Solution in the Northern Territory was focusing on the needs of young Indigenous Australians when they're transitioning between school and into uh, into employment. And I know you've talked previously about the barriers in being able to be onboarded in employment when you don't have some of the conventional government ID that might otherwise be expected. So I think this is a really phenomenal problem that you're trying to, to build and to overcome. I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit more about this pilot and, and how it came to be. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, yeah, so um, we actually applied for the Humanitech Labs, which is sponsored by the Telstra Foundation and uh, Red Cross. At that time, we, we were accepted and it gave us an opportunity to validate our concept with Humanitech, which is a humanity-first technology fit perfectly with what we're doing. So we um, we approached the school and, and as we worked with the school, we learned what our product meant to the admin staff, to the students, and to also students outside of, of the school. So students who were going to university, students who were enrolled in pre-employment programs, students who were actually also attending boarding schools, who were all Indigenous. And uh, we found an overwhelming need and, and, a, and a massive gap where technology was not being offered in that transitional phase. And one of the key insights for that whole um, journey has been um, the, the ability to share the two-sided problem that exists. So the school and organizations who receive people or, or share um, valuable insights and information to individuals, they need to actually provide you know, an assurity that this person is going to transition out of out of this environment. And for schools, they're going to transition out anyway. So it was a perfect place to start. Uh, they couldn't come back and return to school because they'd already graduated. So once they left school, they had to transition into an opportunity. And what was that? And currently what it was was, was, was CDMP, um, work for the dole in their communities or, or, or no employment because there were no regional jobs available. But um, we know that there are regional jobs because we have multiple um, uh, contracts with governments in regional communities that go on regularly. But we have um, companies who um, provide services into those communities who go in and, and build uh, capital works and all sorts of infrastructure and services. And they're all fly and fly out workers and workforces and things. So we can see a real opportunity where young people were able to transition into opportunities and we then built in an eternal live integrated resume that allowed uh, the transition for um, information to the, directly into a resume happened seamlessly. So the individual didn't even have to touch it, but when they went for a job, it'd already be updated. And when they left that job, they'd have succession and move on and upwards into either a career in that business or opportunity or that exit out and, and do more training or, or move into a different career. 
So we're really about creating social parity as well um, through that uh, particular opportunity. Now we're being received into the second stage of the Humanitech program. We wanted to know, were there any other key use cases or pilots um, that Hold Access is currently involved in that you would like to speak about? Yes, there, there are a couple others as well that we, we're working with at the moment. Uh, we're working on uh, the rough sleepers of the Northern Territory, uh, where people who are the most underdocumented, most vulnerable, um, who require documentation. We're um, working alongside uh, uh, the Salvation Army to um, help them document uh, these these guys and, and ladies with their information to help them transition into um, safe places. I mean, there are times when people go through domestic violence and family violence issues as well. All sorts of things, transition out of prison. Uh, you name it, there's, there's so many social factors and environments where people are affected and home, become homeless. So that's one of the environments. We're also um, working closely with um, a, an organization in Townsville in Queen, North Queensland who does something similar as well. and look after people who are transitioning in support uh, with uh, um, housing and creating opportunities out of prison and things like that as well for these sort of these sort of groups. Yeah, where or the organisations do multiple duplications of services regularly, so we just free up their time to to create better opportunities um, with the resources that they have in a more streamlined way that also brings people into the digital era. And Jason, finally, you know, perhaps um, you, you've already got so many tremendous initiatives that are already in flight or, or being mobilised, but. You know, maybe can we look a le- look ahead into the future and if you tell us what you're most excited about for the future of WANA and, and for the future of Hold Access generally? Sure thing. Um, look, I think I'm most excited about the era of technology and, and delivering First Nations with um, identifiable, recognised cultural and heritage in Australia, where for, for more than 250 years we haven't had that. So if we're ever Aboriginal ID our way, Second thing is a real chance of proactively creating his, recreating history uh, with the 60,000-year-old message stick and adapted digitally. I mean, a real Australian piece of technology that's fair deacon and, and in our backyard. The Australian tech can influence the globe even and reduce poverty cycles with the digitally excluded and underdocumented. I mean, this is, this is, this is a map space that hasn't been uh, really addressed or penetrated, but yet... Um, as we move forward, we also see that this is an opportunity to promote this through the ecosystem of procurement. So procurement can influence social impact and uh, also create high productivity and performance levels as, as organizations use this product and as, as people go away and become highly skilled and uh, economically capable. Absolutely. Jason, got to thank you for, for sharing those, those valuable and I think really inspiring insights. It's very eye-opening. I think to many of us who might otherwise be blind to a lot of the problems that people in our, our country are facing and that, that you're really committed to fixing. I'm really passionate that as we embrace the opportunities that come with digital identity, that we need to ensure that we don't just go and digitalize the analog identities that we've had in the past. Those being solutions that have clearly not served a lot of our population very well, uh, and that rather we are looking ahead and looking beyond and finding ways to ensure that we are including and embracing. There's some echoes, I think, to what we had once before on that Digital Next. We hosted the uh, the president of Canada's Digital Identity Consortium, Joni Brennan, and she talked about some of the work with First Nations communities in Northern Ontario. And I'm really yeah, excited to see that, that we have a great story in Australia of the progress and the work that you're doing. 
I might try and underscore a couple of, of the key takeaways that stood out from your comments. Um, there were a lot. Uh, I've taken a lot of notes through this, but maybe just to, to pick out a couple and then I'll ask Alicia to join. I, I love the point about the message stick and the way that you're able to align that the fundamental and inherent role that that's played through 60,000 years of history and that you're building on that and connecting that into the digital age. A lot of your journey in this case was inspired by the scenario with your own child and the learnings from your own child and the predicament and the need to, to what you could see around self-determination and the right and ability to make choices, I think is probably something that any parent can or at least should be able to relate to. I really like the point about KYC for diversity. And I feel that that some of what you've described is about ensuring that you've got a pathway back for people that might otherwise be cast to the fringes. And again, if, if you don't mind me making a linkage to, to where I've seen something overseas, you know, I really like the work that HSBC's done with their survivor bank uh, for the, the victims of human trafficking and their no fixed address initiative for the homeless. And it is recognising that there are chunks of the community that as a result of whatever other prior circumstance are excluded to the fringe and not able to get employment, not able to get a bank account, being excluded from all sorts of services. It's really important that we have pathways back for these people. And I think yours is the best example I've seen in Australia of someone that's that's really working to this situation for the people in our community. And maybe the last one I'll call out is the the, the pilot you mentioned with the Humanitech program for Indigenous students as they're finishing school. And uh, and we'll add a link to the uh, Humanitech webpage about Hold Access uh, when we publish this on NAB News and on LinkedIn, because that's a great resource that elaborates, I think, further on the, the tremendous initiative that you've described here, Jason. Alicia, maybe could I ask you to... You know, I hope I haven't stolen your thunder too much, but you know, could I get you to add a, a couple of points of what really resonated for you from Jason's comments? Well, Brad, and I'd echo that so much resonated, really. I I love the concept of digital self-determination, Jason, that you've coined, and I, I love the way that you and your team are empowering your community um, with more access to employment and services. When you speak about the fact that you have five different names, I'm really struck by the richness the complexity and the nuance of First Nations culture. And I just really love your passion and vision to preserve that. I think we could all learn a lot and just um, very grateful to have heard you speak on all of these topics. So thank you. I hope we've done justice in in our attempts of, of our reflections, but thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on that Digital Next. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Alicia. Uh, our pleasure and, and I think our, our listeners' uh, pleasure and great insight as well. And ahead on NAB Digital Next, we'll continue the conversation with some more incredibly informative guests. Um, we're going to speak to Ivo Yenik of the World Bank's consultative group to assist the poor. He's going to join us from Washington and he's going to talk through some of the work he's done on the opportunities for open banking to help support financial inclusion. And Michael Brett, an Australian expat at Amazon in Seattle, he's going to help demystify the emerging world of quantum computing. So please join us again then. And thanks for being with us on NAB Digital Next. <laughs>